This is the American Variety Network on Block Talk Radio with Alex Cardinale. Live from Springfield, Massachusetts. Happy Thanksgiving 2015 to our listeners of the American Variety Network. Enjoy your turkey and get ready for some Christmas shopping right after your meal. Hello, saltwater aquarium lovers. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture here live on Aquarium Talk to Podcast on American Variety Network. I'm Alice Cardinelli, the newbie saltwater host, looking to learn as much as he can. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the star of this show, the man with the knowledge, Mr. Sesford Ryan to the show. Seth, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, doing just fine. Glad to uh, be on air again. Pretty excited about tonight's show. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show again. You're a great saltwater guy. I'm very happy to have you on your show today. So, uh, on the last episode of Saltwater Lecture, we chatted about everything in the saltwater world and entering into the saltwater world. So last time we had a uh, beginner's guide to saltwater. Now uh, that was two weeks ago and a lot has happened for me in the saltwater world in the last two weeks. I finally have my first saltwater livestock which is now a pair of uh, black and white clownfish and a uh, diamond goby. I actually have plans of getting a 75 gallon to a 125-gallon saltwater tank, and I might make that a reef tank, so tonight's show will be a big help. So what are your thoughts on that, Seth? Oh, yeah. I'm a, uh, like I said, I'm excited to be on the show. Can't wait to talk about uh, your tank and uh, reef tanks in general. Awesome. So tonight we've got a very special show. I've been looking forward to this show, and a lot of my listeners have as well. Tonight we're going to be talking about corals, frags, and reefs. Now, reef aquariums are simply stunning, and we're going to learn a lot about them tonight, especially we're going to learn how to set up one. So if you're looking to create a show-stopping reef aquarium, this is the show for you. So, Seth, what do you love so much about corals? Well, um, I'm pretty much a biologist. So I like uh, the diversity of life, uh, the challenge of keeping them, watching them grow and morph into different shapes, colors, sizes, uh, being able to frag them, uh, which is propagating them in different ways, uh, which is all things that we are going to discuss on the show tonight. Awesome. Sounds good. So tonight's show is being recorded live. So if you have any questions on corals, frags, or reefs, you may feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. We're also going to be talking about anemones on the show as well, so if you have any questions on those, you can call in. Again, the call number is 1-347-989-8142 with any questions. Ladies and gentlemen, saltwater aquarium lovers, the chat about corals, reefs, frags, and anemones starts right after our introduction, so don't go anywhere. 
You are tuned in live to the American Variety Network here, live on Blog Talk Radio. With a name like American Variety, you can expect a wide variety of topics. Now, let's get live here on the AV Network. Hi, Jeremy Stillhorn. I'm tuned into the American Variety Network, where I find the shows very educational and entertaining. Are you bold enough to call in and interact with tonight's topic? Well, prove it by calling in live at one 347 to ask questions about tonight's topic or share your thoughts on tonight's topic. Just pick up your phone and dial one 347 and go into a quiet location. Again, that's one 347 Now let's get on with the show. Um, 
And it also means that uh, you have to have reef-safe fish that don't eat the corals. Um, so there's a lot more planning and preparation that goes into a reef aquarium than than a fish-only tank, uh, since the diversity in the tank is uh, much greater. Oh, that sounds cool. So it's a reef tank. You're actually like creating a part of the ocean at home, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, there are some aquarists that actually uh, take uh, a biome of the ocean, let's say like Red Sea, and uh, replicate it in an aquarium. Um, you know, you can take different parts of the world, uh, different reefs uh, around the world, like a Great, Great Barrier Reef, and make that kind of reef, or you can actually uh, mix and match. Uh, some species go well with one another uh, that, that are from different parts of the world. So you kind of got to uh, have a feel for what goes with what and uh, and uh, kind of pick uh, what variety of species you want in your reef tank and uh, go with that. Because let's say, for example... No, uh, there's mixed reefs which consist of, of uh, soft corals and LPS corals and maybe some hardy variety of SPS corals, which I'll discuss in further detail later. But um, uh, that's a, a reef tank is basically you know a slice of the ocean, which is pretty cool since we can keep it in our uh, tanks at home. Yeah, I think it's awesome that we could have reefs and fish together, create a nice little ecosystem of homes to replicate the ocean. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it's really neat. Um, like I said, I, I got into the hobby about 10 years ago and uh, kind of been running with it off and on ever since. That's awesome. I know you got a beautiful 29-gallon uh, saltwater reef tank, right? Yeah, it's a uh, SPS-dominated tank. Uh, SPS stands for Small Polyp Scleritarian. Uh, it uh, means that the corals have hard bodies and small polyps. Uh, so they're a little bit more difficult to uh, maintain long-term, get to grow and everything, so you need to know your chemistry and whatnot. But... Uh, I, I really enjoy that part of the hobby. It's 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 not as difficult as say uh, non photosynthetic tanks, but um, it's it's just enough for me to maintain with two kids. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. So, how much more expensive is a reef tank compared to a fish only with live rock tank? Uh, well, uh, the lighting kills you on your budget. Um. Uh, if you're going to go with a really nice LED system, you're looking to drop maybe four to eight hundred dollars, depending on what type of lighting you're going to get. Um, if you go with cheap Chinese LED boxes off of Amazon, something like a Galaxy HydroGrow, and it's okay. It, it it maintains pretty good colors and whatnot, and gives you some growth. But I've always enjoyed the uh, colors given by like aqua illumination AI units uh, like the hydros and and uh, so on. Uh, but your main main part of the budget is going to be lighting and and uh, test kits um, and uh, power heads 
<laughs> oh yeah, and uh, protein skimming is is pretty important in a reef tank because you want to maintain low levels of nitrate and phosphate, uh, which which protein skimmers actually remove dissolved or organic compounds from the water column um, before it actually has a chance to break down into its constituent components uh, like uh, nitrate and phosphate. But anyways, um, that's that's basically what it takes. You have to have a few extra little pieces of equipment, better lighting, better filtration, because uh, chemistry and, and uh light quality is very important in a reef tank. That sounds very good. So you must be able to uh, know how to handle water parameters and you have to have a better light and a protein skimmer for reefs, right? Well, no, not necessarily. Like uh, uh, for a protein skimmer, uh, I have a 29-gallon SPS dominated tank and uh, it just has a little Emperor 400 hang-on-back filter on it. I don't protein skim at all, uh, which is, uh, you know, it, it, protein skim is not exactly required, but it definitely helps. Uh, I do daily one-gallon water changes in my system uh, with RODI water, and that helps maintain low nitrate and phosphate levels. I also have a GFO filter, which is granular ferric oxide. It removes phosphate. It binds it before it circulates in the water column. So there are several different things that you could add to your system uh, in order to maintain uh, your chemical balance, like nitrate, low nitrates, low phosphate. Uh, there's uh, all different types of equipment for reef tanks. Uh, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Back when uh, I just started in the marine hobby uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we just had we had CFL lights. Uh, we had uh, very limited uh, choices of power heads, and we had limited choices of equipment. And now the industry seems to have just exploded in the last ten years. You have choices for about everything, and uh, if you uh, can think of it, uh, you can probably buy it for a tank right now. Yeah, that's true. There's a whole bunch of different companies out there and a whole bunch of different products for fish tanks now, so that's a good thing, actually. Oh, absolutely. That's a free market capitalism right there. you got to love it. Definitely uh, agree with you. So uh, is RODI water a requirement for reef tanks? Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't do it, uh, a reef tank, without it unless... Of course, you live in an area of the country that has uh, tap water that has very close to zero TDS, uh, around uh, 8 to 5 ppm TDS. And that's not very common, especially in the United States. Now, I know somewhere uh, in Florida, a, a friend of mine was running a beautiful 125-gallon tank uh, off of tap water, but he tested his TDS and it was zero coming out of his tap. So that means the water company wasn't adding any phosphate to the water to bind any bacteria or, or other chemicals from from contamination. So uh, that was interesting to me. 
So basically, you gotta check with your local utility company, see what's in the water first, and uh, and then you can design an RO system around your water quality. Like um, my uh, water here at my house, the tap water runs around 250 ppm TDS. So I had to develop a system. Uh, an RODI system that's nine stages uh, and before um, the place I was in at right now it ran anywhere from 500 to 1000 TDS so uh, I, I went ahead and invested in a large RO unit the other thing that you can do uh, if you don't want to pay for all that equipment right off the bat uh, a lot of people go to your local neighborhood Walmart or a Walmart in general and, and buy water by the gallon. There's even some places that I know of uh, that you can buy water by the gallon. So that's a good start. It'll get you started uh, without actually having to make the major investment of a RODI unit. The other uh, option, uh, if you don't want to do that, it's a little more simple. It's a a distiller, uh, but of course that will drive your gas or electric bill up too if you uh, want to use it exclusively. So I like RO uh, water because the wastewater is uh, pretty cheap to run off, or you could collect it and water your flower beds. But uh, yes, I would say that RO water is is uh, definitely a must for a reef tank long term, unless you have high quality water straight from the tap that's a very good answer and actually right now i'm actually using my uh my friend's rl system so i'm getting free rl water <laughs> oh that's wonderful yeah that's awesome I, I really like that so uh what is the best recommended tank size for a reef tank in your opinion oh you're probably looking uh well, I used to have a 2.5-gallon Tyco tank. Uh, some people start off with a Nano, which is between, uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing, around 5 gallons to uh, 34 gallons, which is Recentral standard, Recentral forum standard. It's uh, 34 gallons max. Um, for the average beginner that's on a budget, a 50 gallon or a 55 gallon would do um, I started with a 90 gallon tall show tank which is uh, uh, 4 foot wide 12 and a half inches deep and 30 inches tall so very very tall uh, show tank it was one of my uh, prettiest tanks that I ever ran um, but for a beginner anywhere between 50 and 90 gallons ought to do you don't have to go completely overboard. I know some people who start with a 300-gallon tank and then they get overwhelmed with it and end up quitting later. So uh, to dip your toe in, you know, anywhere from 50 to 90 gallons would uh, would do. Yeah, I think 50 to 90 gallons is a good beginner tank. I think anything over that is definitely overwhelming. Yep. That's uh, that's uh, uh, about what I would do if uh, if I had to buy a bigger tank. If uh, uh, of 
course, uh, bigger tanks actually allow you to have more biodiversity, more fish, uh, more corals, of course. Uh, people who are reef tank hobbyists, we can't have enough corals or frags, so uh, <laughs> the extra room definitely helps. Also, uh, having a deep tank, uh, like a 75-gallon, which is 18 and a half inches deep, uh, will allow you a little bit better aquascaping opportunities. Now, I don't know how much you're familiar with aquascaping uh, coming from a freshwater background, but it's basically the way that you stack your rocks and, and putty it together and have fun with it, making ledges and different sort of uh, physical uh, overhangs and stuff. But uh, that's always the the one of the funnest parts of setting up a new reef tank is designing the aquascape, you know. Yeah, I think aquascaping is awesome. I had a lot of fun aquascaping my uh, little 29-gallon tank with my life rock. Yeah, there's, uh, there's people who uh, take hours upon hours uh, aquascaping it, getting it just right. And, you know, hey, if you have fun doing it, do it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I agree 100% with you. Now, I know a few minutes ago you said that you love the uh, Nano Reef Size Aquarium. So what are your thoughts on the Nano Reef Size Aquariums? In other words, a small reef tank from 7 to 40 gallons, I believe. Uh, well, I mean, if you're, uh, you've gotten some experience with a larger tank, you know how to balance chemicals, uh, you know what to watch out for, you know... Uh, you know, what kind of fish that you can put in a smaller tank and, and and or if you're just a beginner and you want to get into reef tanks but you don't want to, you know, have a large tank right off the bat, uh, you could always buy a nano, uh, something like maybe a biocube and uh, go from there. Uh, there's many, many different um, brands that you can buy uh, in the nano sizes uh, of equipment and aquariums and stuff, and uh, I enjoy nano tanks because mainly the challenge. Like I said, I I have a SDS dominated tank, 29 gallons, which is considered a nano, um, and uh, I uh, I really enjoy it. I don't see myself uh, upgrading anytime soon. I've had. 240 gallon tanks I've had 140 gallons 90 gallons 55s tons of 30 gallon tanks I've had it all and I always keep going back down uh, to around 30 gallons every time oh that's good so in terms of a nano sized aquarium you're limited to what you can keep right well you're kind of well Yes, you have to be a little bit more selective with your livestock. Um, in terms of fish, you want to stay with small fish, uh, clownfish, chromie, pseudochromie. Um, damsels are okay unless you want to, uh, you know, get nipped every now and then because they're aggressive little buggers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me see. Uh, hawkfish are fun uh, some blennies and body backs uh, the fish selection is, is actually uh, 
pretty wide open there as long as you keep them small. Um, tons of gobies uh, for the hobby. Uh, one of the main things that you have to really look out for is um, their peacefulness or aggressiveness. And as a rule of thumb, uh, you, you make sure first that your fish is a uh, reef-safe fish, meaning that it does not eat corals, it doesn't eat anemones, it doesn't eat, you know, any, anything in there that you actually want to keep and grow. Uh, and that even includes, some people uh, include macroalgae in that, like if they want to keep macroalgae in their display tank. I don't understand it personally, but uh, some people don't want to put uh, uh, herbivorous fish in their tank because they want the macroalgae to grow. But um, the larger you go, the, uh, and as far as tank size goes, the bigger the fish that you can put in there. But keep in mind, uh, one of the main goals of keeping a reef tank is keeping an ultra-low nutrient system, uh, which is pretty common these days, uh, which is severely limiting your nitrate and your phosphate levels as far as near zero as possible. Uh, even in the ocean, uh, nitrate is not exactly zero, neither is phosphate. There, there is, uh, necess it is necessary, uh, but not in high levels. Uh, for example, phosphate, if you completely remove phosphate in a system, then nothing will grow and nothing will reproduce because uh, DNA is made of uh, little phosphorus, phosphates in, in, in DNA. <laughs> so uh, you can't completely limit it in a uh, reef tank or else nothing will grow. But uh, maintaining an ultra-low nutrient system is definitely a must. Well, that was a great answer. I learned a lot from that answer. So that was a fantastic answer. Now, in terms of all that goes into a reef tank, would you say a reef tank is not the best choice for a beginner, or do you think a beginner could handle a reef tank? Well, uh, 10 years ago when I got started, um, I didn't even give it a second thought. I started putting corals in my tank right off the bat, and everything surprisingly lived. <laughs> I, had, I started <laughs> off with a... Uh, no, my, my my first tank was actually a 20-gallon. It wasn't that 90. It was a 20-gallon tank. And uh, I had Montipora growing. I had uh, Xenia in the same tank, uh, Zoanthids, Protopaleothoa, and mushrooms. I had uh, a little bit of it all. Um, and I never really gave a second thought to it. So, you know, as far as... Only it, it, uh, corals being exclusively for for uh, advanced aquarists, no, I, I don't believe so. Uh, there are some very, very hardy corals. As long as you have the proper lighting, uh, they do fine. Uh, zoanthids, mushrooms, zinnia, uh, protopaleothoa, basically any soft coral would be fine for the beginner because... Uh, they do well in tanks that have a lot of nitrate or phosphate in them. Uh, they can handle that extra uh, amount in the water column uh, from overfeeding or, or whatnot your fish. 
Um, but yeah, that's it. Um, I, I, if you want to have a, a reef tank, go ahead and buy the proper equipment. Have your filter. Have your skimmer. If you're gonna have a sump, have a sump. Um, just go ahead and get all the proper equipment right off the bat, so that you can keep uh, the 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 corals that you want. Very good. So if you are a beginner and you're interested in uh, getting a reef tank, we recommend you go ahead and do it and learn from uh, these awesome reef tanks. Now, I know a few minutes ago we talked about lighting and power heads being one of the biggest equipments you'll need for a reef tank. So why are lighting and power heads required in reef tanks? Well, uh, almost all corals except non-photosynthetic corals um, are photosynthetic, which means they actually need a fair amount of light. Uh, all corals are in the, uh, they're cnidarians. Uh, they're all, have uh, photosynthetic bacteria in it called zooxanthellae, uh, and the bacteria uh, create glucose and other uh, pyruvates from light and they provide the sugar needed for the coral to do its processes so it's a symbiotic relationship between algae and their tissues and uh, the coral actually hosting the algae uh, in its tissues and then the the algae actually gives back by providing the uh, necessary glucose for it to survive uh so that's why lighting is very important in a reef tank. Uh, some corals, like uh, SPS corals, require more light than uh, soft corals, per se. Um, mixed reefs, they require uh, a little less light because they like uh, nitrate and phosphate a little extra in the water. Uh, I won't exactly put values on nitrate and phosphate because it's been proven in some tanks that it's better and some tanks it's not. So you kind of got to get used to uh, the personality of the tank, which also means that uh, you got to know your water flow. And so for power heads, power heads are extremely important in a uh, saltwater tank because it oxygenates the water. Um, you have to keep the uh, water moving so that the oxygen can circulate throughout the tank. Also, with uh, corals, if there's no flow, then that means that uh, there's there's no food being delivered to them to capture, and there's no uh, flow to uh, carry waste away from them. So it's very important to have flow uh, in the tank to be able to do all of that. Uh, also, power heads are important in a tank because it stirs up detritus on the rocks and on the sand bed, and it, it stirs it up enough to get it either into your sump filter or your hang-on-back filter for you to manually remove later. Uh, there's tons of different power heads out there. I know when I got started... Uh, there were maxi jet power heads. They weren't even modded yet. <laughs> I don't think. At least I didn't buy the mod. Uh, 
and then uh, over time there's been a lot more advances uh, like the MP40s from uh, Vortec and uh, recently the J-Bo powerheads within the last couple of years have been very uh, popular among people on a budget like me um, but in general uh, you want to invest in a powerhead that's going to turn over the uh, flow so for example if you have a 30 gallon tank you need at least 10 times that in the amount of powerhead turnover rate so you'd want a 300 gallon per hour powerhead which essentially is like a maxi jet 1200 oh, the j pumps are great wave makers so it's Vortec MPs uh, I know a lot of people are getting away from MPs now. They brought down the price of those because uh, the gyros on the market uh, recently. Uh, but anyways, now you know why uh, flow is important in a reef aquarium. That's a very good answer and uh, educated me a lot now. And I actually like the powerhead, so... I'll have to get one for my my tank as well. Powerheads are pretty cool. Which one is your favorite powerhead? Uh, one that works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that picky. Uh, the only uh, brand powerhead that's ever blown up on me uh, has been a Maxi Jet. Uh, and that's because it was partially out of water at the time. So... You know, the cheaper you go, the basically the the in, in anything, in any type of equipment that you invest in in salt water, you get what you pay for. Um, preferably these days, I like uh, DC powered power heads such as the Vortec MP40s, the MP20s and Kims, uh, the JBOs, WPs and RWs, I believe they are. They're all great. Um, ten years ago when I started, we didn't really have wave makers. We had wave maker timers uh, for MaxiJet uh, and Oceanic Powerhead and stuff like that, but nothing like they have these days with the uh, the extra control bots and, and stuff like that. Awesome. So let's talk about some uh, fish inverts that can live in a, a reef tank. So... What are some fish and inverts that are safe to live in a reef aquarium? Uh, well, I've uh, named quite a few so far. Um, clownfish, pseudochromies, damsels, uh, mm, gobies, blennies. Uh, there's uh, tangs for larger aquariums. Ooh, my favorite. Surgeon <laughs> uh, fish, yeah. There's tons of different angelfish out there that you could uh, potentially buy for a reef tank uh, that will, will it's a 50-50 chance that they might nip at corals, so kind of got to watch them. Uh, there's uh, hawkfish and, and, and all different kinds of stuff. You kind of just got to research it and figure out what you like and what's compatible. There's tons of charts on the internet that you can look at to see compatibility and of course I can't go over all that on this short phone call. 
as yeah, far as right. inver- as far as inverts go, uh, people really like cleaner shrimp. Uh, that's pretty much compatible with them all, uh, except you know non-reef safe fish. They'll eat your shrimp pretty for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, fire shrimp, pistol shrimp is kind of neat. They have a symbiotic relationship with gobies. Um, there's, uh, uh, cucumbers, sea cucumbers, which is kind of neat. Um, I'd stay away from horse apples. Uh, I forgot exactly what they, they, the common name for them is. They're a big purple, uh, type of cucumber and nuke your tank if, uh, if, uh, it dies in your tank. <laughs> so I call them horse apples. But anyways, um, other inverts that you could potentially buy uh, that are beneficial is like um, green mithrax crabs, and uh, those will eat valonia, which is uh, bubble algae. Uh, They'll eat all kinds of different stuff. Also like serpent stars, serpent brittle stars. Uh, They're really good detrivores. Uh, They'll eat any uh, leftover fish food in your tank. Um, there's different uh, types of starfish that you could buy uh, that are reef safe, like Lankia starfish. Uh, they usually come in uh, blue and red uh, color variations. Uh, there are some starfish uh, that are... Uh, not reef safe. Basically, my rule of thumb is if it has a crown on it, um, it's not reef safe. So, like chocolate chip sea stars, you, you don't want it in a reef tank because they'll eat your corals. So, uh, even with invertebrates, you kind of have to be, uh, you know, selective. Uh, there's also urchins. There's uh, different types of urchins that are great uh, for for eating algae and stuff. Some will actually even go so far as eating coralline algae, which is a pretty uh, purple algae that grows all over everything when your tank starts doing really well under, under the right conditions. Um, but uh, that's all of them that I can think of just right offhand. Of course, invertebrates are nidarians as well. Uh, uh, corals belong in, in the same uh, group as uh, jellyfish, actually, which is an interesting evolutionary. It, <clears throat> excuse me, evolutionarily interesting because uh, jellyfish and coral share the same ancestor or whatever. Yeah, that is pretty cool that corals and uh, jellyfish are kind of related. It's awesome. All the species you mentioned are pretty cool, actually, like the hawkfish, the fire shrimp, and the gobies are all some of my favorites. Oh, yeah, some of mine, too. That's very cool. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, the last time I was at my fish store, I noticed that my local fish store (coughs) marked many of their fish as reef safe and non-reef safe, so... What exactly does this mean? Well, like I said earlier, uh, reef-safe fish generally don't eat corals and inverts that you would put in a uh, 
reef tank and uh, non-reef safe fish will eat your corals and, and your inverts that you want to keep in a reef. So, this marks uh, non-reef safe. Don't buy it for your reef tank. Um, I wouldn't trust it unless it was an angelfish or something like that. That uh, might you might have a 50-50 chance that it might nip corals. Um, you know, I wouldn't risk it putting it in a, a reef tank. Very good answer. So right now I'm currently trying to decide if I should uh, go with a 90 or 125 fish only this live rock or 90-125 reef. But I think about having a, a reef tank, if I do do it with a maroon clown, a fox face, a trigger, and a yellow tank, would that work as a reef tank? Would those fish work no. as a reef tank? No, the the trigger I wouldn't put in a reef tank for sure. Um, they'll grow a little bit too big, and uh, depending on the species, of course, and uh, they will nip at corals. So I would not put a trigger in a reef tank. Uh, as far as a yellow tang and a 90-gallon, some people say never, ever put a yellow tang in less than a 6-foot reef tank. Uh, personally, I've had one in a 55 for over a year at one point, and uh, it was doing fine. Uh, it was, it still remains small, but, you know, general rule, you don't put a tang in a tank that's less than four foot. Um, six to eight foot uh, is when you start really looking at tangs. I know some people... Uh, they they buy a tank for a small tank and with the intentions of upgrading the size of their tank later and they end up doing the fish more uh, harm than good by keeping it in a small tank. So, I mean, it's really a question of um, uh, ethics if, if you want to get into that. Yeah, it's a very good answer. Some uh, good points to consider there, so I appreciate that awesome answer. So I think we should move on to corals now. We talked a lot about reefs already, so let's move on to uh, corals. So in your opinion, what makes corals so popular? Uh, they're pretty. <laughs> That's the short answer. Uh, they're beautiful. Um, some people like the movement. Some people like the biology. Some people like the challenge of keeping it. Some people like all three. Um you know, I, I think uh, a reef tank is absolutely stunning. It's peaceful. Um, it's challenging. And, you know, there's there's more to it uh, of maintaining a reef tank than just looking at it and observing it, which is actually about 90% of what you do in a reef tank. But, uh, uh, you know, I just think corals are uh, really neat to keep. Um, and you can have... Uh, an amazing different variety of them in the same tank as long as you know what you're doing and they're also they grow with time they reproduce they uh, they kind of have personalities of their own it's like it's like uh, having a cat or uh, like 30 different species of cats but they all are in the same uh, box <laughs> they all have their different personalities and and you know it's just, but it's more fun to me. I don't, I don't like cats. <laughs> <laughs> me either. <laughs> I, I'd rather fish. <laughs> uh, 
That was a that was a good answer. So, uh, what are some of the kinds of corals out there? Well, the general rule, uh, not rule. Uh, the general answer is there's three different types. Oh, well, four different types of corals uh, that are common in the reef hobby. Um, first, there's soft corals, which are corals that do not have a bony skeleton at all. These are examples of zinnia, protopaleothoa, mushrooms, zoanthids, uh, no, thing, uh, corals that actually dissolve part of the rock and to attach their feet to. Uh, they don't have any sort of skeleton, so they have a very low calcium and alkalinity consumption. Uh, the second uh, type of class of corals is LPS corals, which is large polyps, glaritarians. Uh, I'm from the south. I, I don't know exactly how people up north say scleritarian, but I'm pretty sure I'm saying it <laughs> good enough for everybody to understand. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> large, uh, large polyps, scleritarians, LPS for short. Uh, they're they're uh, corals that have hard bony skeletons, but very large polyps like uh, frog spawn, hammerheads, uh, fox corals, uh, anything of that nature. Uh, even uh, I believe Duncans and and different stuff like that. They uh, they require a little meaty feedings as well as soft corals. They they like a little bit of extra uh, meat or or nitrate and phosphate in the water column. Uh, but uh, LPS corals, they don't need as much phosphate as, let's say, you know, soft corals do. And then you have, for the third class, SPS corals, uh, small polyps, sclerotarians. The Most of their body is um, a calcium-based structure, uh, the polyps are extremely small, which means they require tiny food particles. Um, they don't require much, but they require high lighting, uh, for example, uh, for their zazanthalae to make enough glucose for their them to grow and build their skeletons. Um, and each polyp is a different animal, so you, you know, a colony... It has hundreds and perhaps thousands of different polyps, and each polyp has a mouth. So that's what makes that kind of interesting. Uh, they're a little bit more difficult to keep because they require an, an ultra-low nutrient system and extremely stable water parameters, uh, which is similar to the requirements of keeping an anemone. Um, then the fourth class, uh, which is... Uh, not as common for uh, uh, people in the reef hobby as uh, non-photosynthetic corals. And what that means is they don't require any light at all. Um, most of those corals require um, cold water conditions because they don't have any sunlight at all. Uh, they live in really cold water uh, in the dark. Uh, a lot of them are brown uh, or red or blue. They're really pretty, though. Um, they have tons of polyps. Uh, this is the gorgonians and 
and sun corals and different stuff like that. Uh, but like I said, that's not as common in, in the reef-keeping hobby as, say, uh, small polyps, claritarians or LPS or soft corals even. <clears throat> and I believe if you have an NPS tank, non-photosynthetic tank, it's perhaps the most challenging tank that you can keep in the hobby. Awesome. Very good to know. So what are the best corals for a beginner uh, the best corals for a beginner, I would say, are any soft coral. So you're talking about uh, Xenia, uh, uh, Anthelia, uh, Zoanthids, Protopaleothoa, Mushrooms, those sort of corals. And usually, <laughs> if you go to basically any Petco, you, you might find a, a selection of those type of corals. I wonder I how the corals of Petco are. Do I know? <laughs> no, I was saying I wonder how those corals are because some of the peckles up here in the United States are terrible. Yeah. I personally, uh, I wouldn't buy anything from Petco unless you had a, uh, a hospital tank and a quarantine already set up and ready to go. Um, I'm not saying Petco is a bad uh, company. They definitely do have their perks, but you know, you you would want to treat their corals like they have um, bugs and and diseases, so that you don't you know put it in your tank and, and end up crashing it. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point, actually. And uh, to be honest, uh, not just with Petco. I mean, if you're buying wild corals anywhere. Uh, anything that's not aquaculture or have been previously treated for diseases or bugs, red bugs or flatworms or something like that, you might want to go ahead and set up a quarantine tank and quarantine off your corals and treat them for for those types of uh, parasites and, and diseases, which is uh, not a lot of people do. I, I don't – I mean – so, uh, a lot of people do it. Uh, I don't. I personally don't because I pretty much only buy aquacultured corals from trusted sources. Nice. So aquaculture means they're actually bred in captivity, right? Yes, aquaculture is bred in captivity. Um, that could be in a, another hobbyist tank that sells it. Uh, retail price, it, or it could be from a, uh, a uh, dealer in a state that only sells aquaculture corals that they have personally treated themselves for uh, different parasites and diseases. Also, aquaculture corals, they don't take them out of the wild, so it doesn't damage reefs uh, by harvesting corals. Uh, it's it's a more ethical approach to reef keeping, which I think is important if we do want to continue this hobby uh, at the rate that we're going. That's that's very good. Now my next question is one that is uh, a beginner question. When my beginner a beginner reefer wanted me to ask you this question, and he says. With corals, do you have to wait for a tank to cycle before adding them, or can you add them during a cycle like you would live rock? 
Oh, well, that's kind of a complex question. Um, I wouldn't add anything to a tank that still has ammonia or nitride in it at all. That includes fish, invertebrates, and, of course, corals. Corals, some corals are pretty hardy, uh, and uh, you just don't want to risk it. I mean, it might be a cheap frag, but it's still an animal, and... um, you know, you should be responsible and not want to put it through any kind of damage, potential damage. Um, so I would personally, I would get the fish in the tank uh, and let the bacteria build up to where it's more stable. And, um, you know, I might start adding corals at the two to three month mark. Um, some of the easier corals to maintain. Uh, With SPS corals, a lot of people, um, some people just stick them in right after the uh, the cycle and don't worry about anything. They do just fine. Other people, they wait for about six months for the tank to stabilize enough to put their SPS corals in. So, I mean, it really just depends on, um, you know, how how you want to do it, I guess. I set up a tank and and uh, before it even cycled and put a little frag of zemia in it uh, and it lived and did just fine. In fact, it, it tripled in size and and created more heads, uh, which is kind of impressive. So I guess there is uh, some uh, aspects of the hobby that's um, still experimental. Uh, it, it depends on really what you want to do and how much you want to be responsible for. Very good question. I'd like to say thank you for the listener for that uh, question. It was an awesome answer. And, pers- and personally, I would, I would not recommend uh, cycling a tank with coral, just like uh, Seth said. So how big of a tank do coral require? Uh, well, um as big of a tank as it takes to make the uh, water parameter stable. Um, Like I said, I had a a two-and-a-half gallon with a turf algae scrubber on the back of it as the only filtration, and uh, it did fine with uh, some soft corals and and, uh, a couple of SPS frags. Um, Really depends on your skill level, uh, how big of a tank that you need. Uh, the only thing that limits you is um, your tank size. So, uh, you know, you can't stuff as many corals in a two-and-a-half-gallon tank as you could a 300-gallon tank. So it really just depends on how much you want to take care of uh, as soon as you get the experience to do so. And like I recommended in the beginning, uh, I would start off with like a 55 to a 90 gallon tank for a beginner who wants to get into uh, reef keeping. Awesome. So, uh, how hard are corals to keep? Well, as soon as you get some experience with soft corals, uh, starting off the bat, um, you start learning about your chemistry. Uh, your water parameters, what it requires to maintain them, uh, what it means to do a water change, how to do a proper water change, 
uh, once you can kind of get a little experience under your belt, then then you'll know um, more about that. Awesome. Now, actually, I was doing a uh, research today, and uh, I guess someone said on some form or something that corals could actually kill or harm you. So is it true that some corals can kill or harm you? Well, uh, corals definitely have a system of protecting themselves. Um, some corals, like frog spawn uh, and torch corals, have nematocyst cells that can reach out and sting uh, other corals or perhaps yourself if you're not immune. Uh, some corals have toxins uh, that they release, like uh, protopaleothoa and some zoanthids release uh, palytoxins. Uh, that if uh, you have a cut on your finger or something like that, it can really, uh, really uh, cause cause you harm. Uh, so yes, it is true that some corals are kind of mildly dangerous to handle, and there are uh, tons of aquarists that use uh, powderless nitrile or latex gloves to handle their corals when they need to. Uh, there's also tons of invertebrates that release toxins or have uh, different types of defense mechanisms. Like um, the other day, I was moving some live rock around in my tank, and uh, <clears throat> I reached underneath a piece of live rock, not a coral, a live rock, with my bare hands, and all of a sudden I felt an extreme pain in my fingers. And uh, it was actually a fireworm that had stung me. And Ooh. boy, did it hurt. Um, and it's made of silica. The the little um, spicules are made of silica. So it's not like you could really dissolve it in, uh, in vinegar or anything, like if it was based uh, on calcium. So you kind of got to watch out where you stick your fingers uh, some bristle worms even have uh, have little spikes on them and different things, you know. So you, you gotta definitely be careful when uh, when working with organisms that have, evolutionarily speaking, been trying to kill each other for millions of years. <laughs> <laughs> so how exactly do the local fish stores sell corals? What do they do when you actually buy one? Well, uh, first of all, you kind of got to look at the coral yourself and determine if it's in good health. Uh, look to see if there's pests on it, uh, like red bugs, flatworms, uh, uh, even crabs uh, on it that are uh, uh, bad, like gorilla crabs. Uh, you got to look and see if it's healthy. Once you determine that it's it's in good shape, uh, you ask your uh, live fish store employee or owner about it, its care, and you ought to have made a uh, formal decision about buying it before you even go. Uh, a lot of decisions that are made on the spot usually end up uh, not so well. <laughs> In other words, make sure you know what you're buying before you ask your live fish store owner what it is and uh, uh, make an informed decision first. 
So when you decide to buy it, uh, it depends on the species that you're buying. Um, usually they'll double bag it, uh, double bag it in a plastic bag with some water and air. Uh, if it's a SPS coral, they usually will attach the frag plug to a little piece of styrofoam and put it in a bag, double bag it. And, uh, then you take it home as quick as you can. Um, then you start the uh, acclimation process, uh, which is extremely important to know how to do uh, properly, especially for fish, inverts, and corals. There's all different types of ways. Uh, and I don't know if you intended on asking that tonight. <laughs> That was a that was a fantastic answer. It was just a little question that I jumped quickly in my head. But my uh my last question for corals tonight is what do you feed corals? What do corals eat? Oh wow. Uh that is a huge question. Uh and like <laughs> I I've said about other things, uh we can't really fit in a lot of information uh on it in uh you know hour and a half segment that we have on the radio uh i recommend reading uh articles reef nutrition article from eric bornman uh you can find an article off of reef central's uh, uh website forums uh basically corals different corals eat different things uh a lot of people will tell you buy this product, buy that product, and in the end, it's it's really what it's, uh, uh, works for you, works for the corals. Um, most corals will eat some form of phytoplankton, uh, green floating uh, microscopic algae. Uh, they sell it in different individual species strains. They sell it all together. Uh, I believe one brand a while back was DT's. Then uh, you can buy bottled formulas. Uh, I would maybe stay away from something like Marine Snow. Uh, It's basically bottled detritus. Uh, You don't really want to add that to your tank. Uh, (laughs) But try... uh, (laughs) Try maybe Oyster Feast or or something similar to that, uh, that basically everything could eat. Um, You need a good mix of algae and and, uh, uh, meaty goods. Uh, Different corals eat different things, so uh, you got to have a good blend. Uh, I make homemade fish food, which also feeds your corals. It's a good blend of uh, shrimp, uh, oyster, uh, uh, mahi-mahi, almost any seafood. I also add um, phytoplankton to it and and, uh, different stuff. But uh, anyways, it's, it's, it's a good recipe. Maybe I'll post it on Facebook later. Uh... Different corals do eat different things, and diff- and anemones uh, also eat a good variety of, uh, in their diet. Uh, of course, 
most of what corals eat are either um, algae or maybe goods. So you ought to be pretty good with just about anything that you feed. Awesome. So this is a great start to the show. We learned a lot about reefs and uh, corals. So we're going to go ahead and take a short break. And during this break, we're going to hear two songs and our infomercials. Coming up next here on Saltwater Lecture, we're going to briefly discuss frags, and we're also going to discuss anemones. So stick around for more saltwater chat here on this awesome Saturday evening as we talk about frags and anemones right after our infomercials. And tonight, the two songs we're going to hear are called Living Sing and Higher. And then we're going to hear our commercials, and we'll be back with more of this awesome show. Oh! 
Tonight's episode of the American Variety Network. Great 
The America's Variety Network really appreciates your listening. We also appreciate listener feedback. Please feel free to email us your thoughts and opinions on tonight's show. Our email address is American Variety Network at Comcast.net. That's American Variety Network at Comcast.net. You may also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns you may have about our show. You can also email us to book a guest appearance on the American Variety Network or you may contact us to become a sponsor of the American Variety Network. American Variety Network at Comcast.net. Would you like to find out when the next episode of the American Variety Network is? Do you want to find out the news and updates for the American Variety Network? Well, all you have to do is go on your computer and log on to the social media sites. The American Variety Network is now on Facebook and Twitter. That's right, you can find the American Variety Network on Facebook and Twitter. Like our fan page on Facebook called American Variety Network and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter fan page is at American Network One. Again, our fan page on Facebook is American Variety Network. Hit like and our fan page on Twitter is at American Network One and hit follow. thankful for this year you know what alex cardinale and the american variety network are thankful for you the listeners that's right alex and all of us here at the american variety network are so glad you listen to our shows and tune into them we love you listeners remember that the american variety network and alex Cardinali would like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and we hope you enjoy some tasty turkey and have a nice meal with your loved ones. Be thankful for what you have and spend time with your loved ones. Happy Thanksgiving all. American Variety Network fans, mark your calendars and get ready to celebrate. Saturday, November 21st, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific The American Variety Network reaches another milestone as we celebrate our 250th episode. Our 250th episode is going to be filled with plenty of awesome surprises and fun. Here to tell you more about the 250th episode is the host himself, Alex Cardinale. On the 250th episode... 
there will be three special surprise guests, including one fishkeeping guest who will be broadcasting live from the Ohio Cichlid Association 2015 Extravaganza and two other awesome surprise guests. There will be some awesome comedy clips guaranteed to make you laugh and last in the past clip and there will also be a lot of fun. I personally invite you, my listeners, to help me celebrate 250 awesome episodes as you've been a huge part of my success. So join me live Saturday, November 21st 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern for our 250th episode at blogtalkradio.com forward slash American Network. Calling out all you turkeys and turkey lovers. Come join the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving Day for a special holiday-themed episode. This will be our very first podcast broadcast live on Thanksgiving Day. Live Thursday, November 26, 2015 at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Alex Cardinali will broadcast the American Variety Network for a special Thanksgiving Day morning special. This will be your last chance to ask any last-minute Thanksgiving cooking questions. I'll discuss how to make the perfect Thanksgiving turkey. I'll discuss NFL football on Thanksgiving, and much more. So come spend your Thanksgiving morning with the American Variety Network on Thanksgiving at 11 a.m. Eastern. Happy Thanksgiving! Breaking news just into the American Variety Network studios. On Monday, November 30, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain and 6 p.m. Pacific, Alex is going to share some groundbreaking news and announcements that will shock the American Variety Network and Blog Talk Radio. What is the news? Well, you're going to have to tune in live on Monday, November 30th because no one is going to find out. Suspense is the best. Plus there will also be a special surface guest returning to the American Variety Network for the first time in over a year. So what is the major news? We will find out on November 30th. You're listening to the American Variety Network. Your only place for variety on Blog Talk Radio. Fishkeeping listeners, it's Saltwater Saturday. Welcome to Saltwater Lecture Hour here on American Variety Network with your host Seth Vitrine, a former fish store owner and a saltwater enthusiast for over 10 years. Seth will be discussing anything and everything saltwater from setting up your first saltwater aquarium to raising corals and even getting your clownfish to host an anemone. Saltwater enthusiasts, this should be a fun saltwater show. So please give a round of applause and welcome your host of Saltwater Aquarium Lecture, Seth Vidrine and Alex Cardinale. Saltwater Aquarium Lecture is now live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saltwater Aquarium Lecture. 
gentlemen, welcome welcome back to Saltwater Lecture right here on Aquarium Talk Podcast and live on American Variety Network. Tonight we're talking about reefs, corals, frags, and anemones. And before our wonderful intermission, we we're talking about reefs and corals. And now we're going to talk about frags and anemones. I would like to remind you that we are actually live, so if you have any questions, Please feel free to call in at 1-347-989-8142. Again, that's 1-347-989-8142. So quickly, we're going to start talking about frags, and then we'll move on to anemones. So as a beginner to the saltwater world, I hear the word frag a lot, and I have no clue what that is. So, Seth, what are frags? Well, uh, frags are uh, fragments of larger corals. Uh, they can be fragments of soft corals. They can be LPS corals or SPS corals. Um, so they're basically tinier versions or a few single polyps of a larger colony. Uh, frag is basically what you cut off, uh, pinch off, or... Uh, otherwise, you know, take the bone shears to uh, get a smaller piece of a larger coral and to grow it out. Oh, that's cool. So basically, it's like a baby coral. Yeah, basically, it's it's just a few uh, polyps uh, that can grow out into a new colony. Oh, that's cool. So most of the corals at the fish stores are usually just frags, right? No, not necessarily. Um, In the wild, some corals can be uh, just absolutely amazingly huge. Uh, uh, There can be fields of them. Um, A colony of uh, corals can be the size of a basketball or an entire tank, uh, you know, it, it really, there's there's not too much of a definition of what a colony is compared to what a frag is because it's all relative to the type of coral. Um, you know, for example, uh, zoanthids are basically carpet corals. They, uh, they're like little underwater weeds, uh, same as zinnia and anthelia. Uh, you can have a field of them and call it a colony, uh, or you can have a single polyp or two and call it a frag. Uh, so it really just depends on what type of coral you're talking about. But when, in general, when a reef hobbyist says, hey, man, I'm going to frag uh, uh, this coral right here, they basically mean that they're going to cut off a piece of it uh, to sell or give to you. Awesome, that's very cool. So keeping frags is pretty much similar to keeping coral, right? Uh, yeah, since a frag is a coral, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, a frag is, uh, the term frag is used, uh, shorthand version of fragment, uh, fragment of a coral. It's abbreviated frag of a coral. Awesome. Some uh, very good information. 
So let's talk about, uh, shoot, I have a hard time pronouncing these, uh, Ammonies, I guess you call them. What, uh, what are the uh, kinds of, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, I was just trying to understand the question. What was that word? Oh, I was just saying, uh, right now I wanted to talk about, uh, uh, I had a problem earlier in the show, but now I'm having a hard time saying them. Uh, en- enemies, I guess, or I don't know. <laughs> it's a thing that, <laughs> okay. It's a thing that the clownfish host in. We're gonna talk about that now. Yeah. Okay. Anemones. Yes, an- anemones. What are the kinds of uh, anemones? Well, uh, the ocean is very diverse. Like I keep saying, uh, there's different types of anemones. Uh, there's uh, different species, of course. Uh, there's uh, about three or four different types uh, of anemones that are typically sold in the uh, aquarium trade. Uh, the most basic one uh, that a lot of people keep in, like, ref- refugiums and stuff is um, a tube anemone. Uh, which requires very little light since they're non-photosynthetic in general. Uh, they eat little meaty bits. Uh, they have they live in tubes, and uh, they take and insert their boot <clears throat> uh, into uh, sand or live rock to anchor themselves, uh, like any other anemone. Uh, tube anemones are really neat. Um, they're awesome to watch feed. Uh, they're pretty quick uh, as far as uh, grabbing food and pulling it into the tube. So it's just one of the uh, uh, anemones I recommend for a beginner who's just starting and doesn't want to kill off something that's uh, expensive, uh, like a different type of anemone. Then there's uh, conolidactus anemones. You typically see those uh, available at uh, big box stores like Petco. Uh, they're beginner anemones. They have a red boot uh, with uh, typically wider brown uh, tentacles with uh, little purple tips. Um, those are easy. Uh, they've been in the aquarium trade for a long time. Uh they can be kept under a variety of lighting conditions. Uh, they're typically very hardy. Um, the next type of anemone is a curly Q anemone. Um, I consider them personally like parasites. They'll basically eat anything that, that moves or gets stuck in its tentacles. Um, that includes uh, expensive small fish that you put in your tank. Um, I personally don't like curlicues unless it's like a species-only tank. Uh, great for like little 10-gallon tanks and stuff that you want to, you know, keep away from the rest of them. They'd be great in a refugium for excess food and and, and uh, watching at night, you know, something like that. Uh, the next one that's more typical in the hobby that... Everybody sees, but nobody really knows, <laughs> especially um, beginners, uh, are bubble tip anemones, uh, which is very common for uh, this type of anemone to host a variety of different species of clownfish. 
Um, it's one of the most uh, common anemones sold in the aquarium trade. Uh, and then there's carpet anemones. Uh, you have uh, Gigantia carpets and Hadoni carpets. Um, and those uh, carpets are kind of hard to distinguish when they're a certain uh, size, when they're small. Uh, you got to really know what you're looking at. Um, some of them can grow up to like two foot. And even at a home aquarium and up to three foot in the wild um, but in general most uh most people will buy a rose tip or a green tip um bubble tip anemone that will typically host a clownfish uh if given a chance awesome, so what does hosting mean hosting um uh, you you know, uh, basically you have a guest over to your house. You're the host. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the same thing with the anemone. The the anemone is the host, and the clownfish is hosting it. So uh, if the anemone decides that he doesn't want the clownfish in his house anymore, he'll eat him. <laughs> or oh, any that's two a- other fish. That uh that that comes by them. Uh, most clownfish aren't typically eaten by their anemones as long as they you know keep them well fed or uh, you know don't cause harm. Which uh, clownfish are also called anemone fish, uh, so they basically know how to uh, to take care of one another, uh, and that doesn't typically happen. But anyways. <laughs> so the anemone is kind of funny if it's unlucky it just eats you. <laughs> oh yeah, I've, I've seen. I've went over to uh, fellow aquarius houses and looked in their tank and said, "Oh yeah, look at that! Your anemone is eating your clownfish." What? No, I just bought him. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. So really, you should do the research on the type of your clownfish and see what uh. An enemy that can host that clownfish successfully. Yeah, uh, typically I would say if you you want a better than average chance of an anemone hosting uh, as, as a host for a, a clownfish, uh, you'll want to buy a bubble tip uh, anemone such as a rose tip or a green tip, uh, a bubble anemone. Oh. <laughs> which is is pretty common in the aquarium trade. They reproduce uh, pretty often. They either split or they they reproduce sexually. Um, So they're pretty hardy um, next to carpets. Um, I like carpet anemones, but uh, it's kind of hard to get a clownfish to host in one, and um, they require uh, parameters that, that are just absolutely pristine. That's good to know. And uh, fortunately for some of the beginners out there, actually in captivity, clownfish don't require an enemy, which is good. Yes, that's right. Um, 
you, you don't have to have an anemone uh, to have a clownfish. And uh, for a beginner, you don't actually have to uh, to buy an anemone, which is a good thing uh, because you need to learn uh, what water quality is, how to maintain it, how to troubleshoot problems in your aquarium, <clears throat> and uh, know what type of lighting to use before you even get uh, anonymity uh, and be able to keep it successfully over a period of time. Awesome. So, have you ever kept an enemy before? Well, as a uh, former fish store owner, I have kept hundreds. <laughs> uh, I've uh, I've I've had uh, several smaller ones in uh, various tanks, personal tanks, over the years. But uh, right now, with the SPS-dominated tank, uh, no, I, uh, I I don't have one, and I don't intend on getting one. That's cool. I'm thinking about getting a bubble tip and enemy for my uh, small fish pair. Are they, like, uh, easier to care for than corals? Uh, actually, no. Uh, they require the same type of water parameters as LPS and SPS corals, uh, actually. They require low levels of nitrate and phosphate. They have to have uh, stable uh, water temperatures and salinity. Um, and they um, have to have uh, other parameters and trace elements uh, stable, just like you would have for a reef tank. Um, you typically can't have them in a tank that has a lot of fish in it uh, where the water quality uh, degrades rapidly over time. Uh, there's uh, several things to look for uh, when you have an anemone, uh, especially when you just put them in the tank. Uh, you don't want them to sulk too much, and uh, basically sulking is the process where they they uh, flatten out or they they uh, deflate or turn their uh, insides out. It basically looks like you don't want them to do that uh, too often. Uh, if they do that or if they move around the tank too much to try to find a, a different place in the tank that they uh, like to be in, uh, they're not happy with something in the tank, uh, perhaps temperature, flow, or or uh, some water parameter is off. So you basically have to, you know, look for their behavior and do some testing and figure out, you know, what's bothering them. Very good to know. There's a lot of awesome information on this show. I think we uh, covered everything tonight. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, uh, I'll be looking forward to uh, the next time that we talk. Um, we're going to be talking about troubleshooting problems in a marine tank, anywhere from uh, algae problems to cyanobacteria, dinoflagellates and stuff, and uh, all the types of cures and equipment uh, necessary to uh, combat these problems, uh, talk about parasites and uh, all different types of ways to um, treat uh, a tank when uh, things go downhill. So I'll be looking forward to joining you again in a couple of weeks. That sounds great. It's going to be a great show, especially for a beginner like me and all my uh, beginner listeners out there. So it's going to be a wonderful show. I can't wait for that. Yeah, me too. I can't wait for it either. 
So I want to thank you for this wonderful show. There's a lot of great information on it, and I, I know that I'm going to re-listen to this show, and I know that my listeners will appreciate your wonderful information. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate being on the show. Looking forward to sharing some more information with y'all. I'll be uh, here again in two weeks to discuss uh, troubleshooting the tank. And uh, I had a lot of fun uh, talking with you about corals and uh, what all is required for them. I hope I covered enough information uh, on them to kind of make some informed decisions. And, uh, of course, you know, you need to do your own research and talk to other people and and basically have fun. Um, you got to know what you're doing, and, and uh, listening to as much information as you can is a great start. Very well said. I want, I'd like to thank you for being a wonderful co-host tonight, and I hope you feel better. Oh, thank you very much. It seems like uh, this uh, cold doesn't want to leave. <laughs> I know, I just I just got better myself for one, so hopefully you'll feel better really soon. Good, thank you very much. You're welcome, you have a great weekend now. Yeah, you too, Alex, good night. Good night. And I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this great show. Thank you to all my saltwater aquarium lovers for tuning in. We'll be back with another saltwater Aquarium lecture in two weeks. We're going to talk about troubleshooting saltwater aquarium problems. It's going to be a great show. Until then, enjoy your saltwater tank, and thank you for tuning in to the American Variety Network on this awesome Saturday evening. Make sure you check us out on Facebook, American Variety Network Fan Group, and American Variety Network, our fan page. Check us out on Twitter, American Network One, and follow us on Tumblr, American Network. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy your saltwater tanks. This was brought to you by Alice Cardinelli and Seth Fidrine and Aquarium Talk, the podcast. Thank you guys for listening all over the world, and especially everyone in the United States of America. Enjoy your reef tanks and your saltwater tanks, and uh, check out the forum, saltwaterfish.com. And uh, good night, everyone.
Everything, everything, that's all, folks. 